I'll read my prime verse while you're standing, and it's St. John 11 and 35. Jesus wept. May the Lord bless you to be seated. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know about this fellow, Brother McDaniel. He wants me to hold you until 3 o'clock. Most people are, are screaming and hollering, you know, don't don't hold us too long here. He wants me to preach for an hour and a half. He should have... Huh. Well, sometimes I can. <laughs> I don't know about today. Even. Yeah, I guess I could. I don't want to get mad today, though. I heard a song a few years ago, it's too early in the morning to start crying, and too early in the morning to get mad. Of course, this afternoon, isn't it? Hallelujah. Well, it's so good to see each of you. Or the hair is popping in here. It's good to see him. How do you spell your last name? I'm a... Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany. The town of Mary and Martha, Mary's sister and Martha, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. I identified it pretty good, pretty well. Therefore the sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death. That's what he said but for the glory of God, it's for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Didn't get in any hurry. Amen. Now, we could get off, since I'm going to have extra time, I suppose we could talk about predestination. All of them. <laughs> and we do believe in predestination to a certain extent. Amen. And I don't know how, what extent you believe in it, but I believe there are a lot of things predestined. And I believe that God knows many, many, many things. And he somehow knew. I really believe that God deliberately tarried. He deliberately stayed until Lazarus died, knowing that he would. He did it on purpose. He stayed two more days. Now, normally you hear somebody sick. You want to get there and do something about it. And I really believe that the Lord didn't intend healing. I actually believe that this was planned and calculated. He deliberately stayed two more days. And then I won't read it. I'm a poor reader. I'd rather just tell you about it. And so he finally uh, said, let's go, Lazarus is sleeping but let's go and uh, somebody said well if he's sleeping he's doing well and Jesus said uh, well he's actually dead and one of them got real really into it said well let's go up there and die with him kind of a I guess didn't have anything else to say so he just said let's just go up and die with him I can't figure out why he said that somebody smarter than me might be able to figure that out but I, I make silly statements down in too and I feel bad about them but that's not what Jesus had in mind. And so when they grew, uh, drew a little closer to the town, somebody told Martha, 
whispered in their ear. There was a lot of Jews there from the comfort, and uh, they heard that there was just like when we hear of a death, we want to do all we can to bring as much comfort as possible. And so her friends uh, gathered around their friends and were trying to comfort them. And uh, somebody slipped in. They were all sitting around, I suppose, crying, wringing their hands, and and uh, preparing things and doing what you do when people are bereft of their friends and their loved ones. And somebody slipped in, told Martha, uh, the master's out here. And so she real quietly got up and walked out, and she met him. And the first thing she did was she said, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And the Bible said he was grieved inside. And uh, he uh, went ahead and told her, your brother, he'll live again. And she said, oh, yes, Lord, I know. I know he will. At the resurrection, he'll live again. And then it's when so many times when I've read this, and particularly when I've heard preachers, and, and I've preached on it myself, that when I've uh, come to the port where Jesus said, I am the resurrection, he was looking for it way out in the distance. He was talking to it. I am the resurrection. There wouldn't be no resurrection without him. And the resurrection was standing there talking to her. I am the resurrection. Hallelujah. That's our hope. He is our hope of a resurrection. And she was talking to the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And uh, I don't know yet if she quite understood what he had in mind. I don't think so. And so she sent for Mary. Mary heard about it, and she got up in a haste, and she took off, and some of the people saw her leave, and they said, oh, she's going out to the tomb. She's going to weep. And uh, so they picked up their sad looks and was following after her, helping in all the grief and the, the mourning. They used to hire people in those days to, to mourn, and I think King Herod had to hire a bunch of them because nobody wanted to cry when he died, so he hired people to, to weep at his funeral. <laughs> and... I'd hate to have to do that, wouldn't you? Hire somebody to cry at my funeral. Well, they uh, they went along, and, and uh, when Mary got there, uh, the same thing was on her mind, and the same thing is on our minds sometimes, that, uh, who was it, Brother Alviar yesterday was saying, when his wife was so uh, it was so hopeless, looked like she might even lose her, her lower legs uh, when that fire, that somebody said, if Brother so-and-so would have been here and prayed for her, she'd be all right. And uh, that's what Mary also, as long as Martha, Mary told Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then he groaned again in his spirit. And uh, he said, where have you laid him? And they said, they're over here. So they went over and he looked at it. And he said, roll the stone away. And Martha said, uh, well, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He's going to be stinking by now. I mean, she's real, being real practical. And you can't really knock her for that because she would be embarrassed, you know, and it would be a, a bad memory to have with her beloved brother there and then she'd smell the odor of his decay. And Jesus didn't listen to that. He said, roll the stone away. And then he prayed a little short prayer just for the benefit of those that were there. And with a loud voice, he cried. And this has been said so many times, and you know it, that if he'd have just said, come forth, he was the resurrection, all the graves would have emptied. But he got specific, and he said, Lazarus, come forth, in a loud voice. 
And now Lazarus was all bound up with in grave clothes. He couldn't really move, but the power of God lifted him up and I guess put him on a skateboard and just kind of slid him out. And there he stood, all wrapped face and everything, and loosed him and let him go. And I, I've often tried to imagine what that was like, but uh, I hope they started in up here and began to uncoil it. And he got down to his eyes, and his eyes popped open. And if I was doing the unwrapping, I, I'd, I'd get cautious right now. But just his eyes. And then they got on down. When they, when they got to his mouth, no doubt, he said, Thank you, Jesus. I, I have no idea what he said. But I don't imagine he just stood there mute. He might, Come on, boys, hurry up. I don't think he said anything like that. I think his first thought was cut his eyes over Jesus and say, Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. He'd been on a long trip. He'd been dead for over four days. At least four days he'd been dead. And so they got on down, he got one arm out. I imagine didn't nobody had to say, Come on, lift your arms, Larry. Come on, give the Lord the prayer. He got it up the other and he got it up. Got on down, he getting gonna help him a little bit pretty quick. <laughs> Hallelujah. He loses fifty dollars. <laughs> you lost your fifty dollars last night, right off the bat. If he's counting on getting rich that way, he's gonna die pauper. Pauper. Well, it was a great day, and it was noised abroad that God did. He did raise him from the dead, and we believe that. I believe it with all my heart. I have no no problem believing that he was dead and that Jesus raised him from the dead. And this is to help my faith to believe that he will raise us from the dead. Amen. He's dead long enough that there was no question about it. He was dead. But God lifted him up, raised him up, gave him back to his family. And, uh, of course, the Jews heard about it, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees heard about it. And that just made them more angry at Jesus. But uh, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Now, they really believe that. that is, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? Why wasn't you here? Why did you take so long to get here? He's dead now. He deliberately, Jesus deliberately waited. Anybody believe he deliberately waited? He stayed two more days in the same place where he was. Then he had to walk all the way over there. He did it on purpose. And yet, after he did it, he was grieved. Was he grieved because Lazarus died? I personally, if you'll listen to me just a little longer today, and I won't take a lot of time today, I'm, I just won't. But... Uh, I don't think he was grieving because Lazarus died. I think he was uh, grieving because of the pain that Mary and Martha went through, and yet he put them he put them through it. He put them through that pain, knowing that it was going to be painful. He was grieved inside. Now I want to tell another story, and then we'll kind of get on our way here. Uh, King of Syria, Benadad, who got real sick. I mean sick. He didn't know if he's going to live or die. And so he called his real trusted servant, Hazel, and he said, uh, I hear that Elisha's in the country, and I want you to take him a gift and go down and inquire of the prophet of the Lord, inquire of him if I'm going to live or die. 
And so I think, if I read it right and if I can remember, it's like he loaded up 40 camels. Now, I just read a book not long ago, and a camel is quite a beast of burden. I, I think it was 1,200 pounds of salt they would put on these in a little mine out there in, in uh, Nevada called the Comstock. 1,200 pounds of salt loaded on a camel, and he would travel 35 miles with it and walk up a mountain. And uh, their feet wasn't made for rocky soil. It was made for sand. They they cut their feet on the rocks, and they carried their burden anyhow. But that is a lot of weight you can put on a camel. And if you had 40 of them, and they carried four th- just a 1,000 pounds, that's a lot of goods. And Elisha stood to, to get, you know, how many? 40,000 pounds of goods? That's a truckload of goods. And so uh, I don't think Elisha was interested in the goods at all. It, uh, I mean, we the prophets have proven that many times. Take your stuff home with you. I don't need it. God's taking care of me. But nevertheless, when Hazel came and he said, My uh, my Lord, my your son, the king, Abinadad wants to know if he's going to live or die. And the prophet, he said, uh, oh, he, you just go back and tell him that he surely will recover. But then, I don't know, come here just a minute, would you? Let's see, Weeks is your name, isn't it? You'd be Hazel, just, you won't stand up here very long, but I want the people to see you. Yeah. Well, I'd see why. <laughs> Brother Terry one time told a young man, he said, Why aren't you married? And the kid said, I don't know. And he said, All you got to have is a car and some money and looks and personality. And he said, You got a car. <laughs> but when the prophet looked at him, and he said, you go back and tell him that he will surely recover. And then the prophet began to look at him. You didn't know move right. He looked at Hazel until Hazel was ashamed. And Hazel dropped his head because he couldn't stand the fierce look of that prophet. The prophet was seeing things. And when he dropped his eyes, the prophet began to weep. Thank you. He never did drop your head. Yeah, he hadn't read the story lately, lately. And uh, when the prophet began to weep, Hazel couldn't figure that out. Why are you weeping? He said, because you're going to be the king in the place of Benedad. And when you become the king, he said, you're going to kill the young men with the edge of the sword, the young men of Israel, and you're going to dash their children, pick them up with the feet, and slam them against the brick wall until their heads just burst and their life is just blood all over the walls. You're going to take your swords and spears and rip the women that are carrying children. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm weeping because of all the misery that you're going to, you, Hazel, are going to bring on Israel. That's why I'm weeping. I'm weeping for the pain of Israel. And, uh, of course, Hazel, he, what am I, a dog, that I would do a thing like that? He didn't probably dream that he would do that. 
But God knew what was going to happen. He knew there was going to be a lot of pain brought about by Hazel. And so he went back to his, uh, Hazel went back to Abinadad, went in, and the king said, well, what did the prophet tell you? And he said, said you're going to recover. And he would have. But he didn't tell him the rest of the story. <laughs> and uh, so when it, everybody else left and the king was still laying there in a hot fever and he wasn't really able to, to defend himself, Hazel come in with a very, very thick cloth and he had soaked it in water so that it would be a, a, he couldn't breathe through it. And he put it over the king's face and smothered him to death. The next morning they found him and, of course, he, he would have recovered, but he was murdered. And so Hazel was king in his, in his stead. And then Hazel went ahead and did the things that the prophet said that he would do. And uh, the reason I wanted to mention that story along with the fact that Jesus wept is that the prophet looked and he saw what was coming, and he wept. And when Jesus stood there and he, he looked at Mary and Martha, I think he wept for their sorrow, and I think he wept for the occasion that the others were sorrowful and weeping. But really, I believe like the prophet of old, and, and certainly Jesus could see further than Elisha, that Jesus lifted his eyes and he looked and he saw so many people that's going to be so perplexed as to know, why didn't you do it? Not just Mary and Martha. Not just Mary and Martha. But he looked into your life and in my life. And every one of us have come to a point sometime or another that we wondered, why didn't God heal? Why did God let him die? Why did God let her die? And uh, some of the most pitiful things, you know, we're never really quite ready for it. But when we have uh, people that are older and, and they're lived to be a ripe old age and they're crippled up and they're, they're hurting all the time, we, even then we don't want to lose them. And we wonder, God, why? But somehow the, the logical answer will come to us and we will think, well, they were very, very old and they were very worn out and they were very tired and they were suffering a lot. And we can sort of understand that. But even then, when my granddad died and he had been in such pain for so long, that it was a, it came as a double thing. It was a relief and yet it was a grief. But uh, when I looked at him and he wasn't suffering and he wasn't gasping and he wasn't fighting like he was before, I felt an ease and a relief that, thank God, he's not suffering anymore. But yet I felt the great loss. But when, uh, when someone is taken out in the prime of life, I know that we've often wondered and probably never will know why Brother Bean was taken away so quick. And that probably shocked a lot of people. But in your own personal life, uh, death is not, has, it hasn't struck real, real close in our immediate family. Uh, we've, we've suffered uh, losses. And when my wife's father died, and different things of this nature. Uh, but in our immediate family, I haven't lost a child yet, and I haven't lost a grandchild. And uh, all my brothers and sisters are still living, and my mother's still living. And so I know that eventually uh, I will have to, or they will have to, uh, face it. And when, we, when we're brought to that point, uh, as I mentioned, I... A good friend of mine at the funeral of his grandson, he just couldn't understand it. He just could not understand it. And uh, my wife likes to call, I've, I've preached along these lines before, 
and probably will again. And the only reason I'm doing it today is because I want to, and I feel like God's in it. And I feel like that it, it will be fine on the heels of some of the things I said yesterday. And uh, I've got one one point I want to make, just one. And when I get to that one point, I'll be through. But I want to get you prepared for that one point, is what I'm driving for. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I know, what was it, just a year or so ago, when uh, Brother Conrad's son was drowned, and most of you know about that, and it was such a such a shock. He didn't know, he couldn't find his body. And uh, why, God, why did this happen? Why? Oh, the misery and the agony. Their son, he was such a handsome kid. He was so well-mannered. He was such, so had such promise. And they loved him so much. And he went out fishing, and he never come back. The boat went down, and he, uh, the water was too cold. He couldn't swim to the shore. A good swimmer, powerful build fellow. But he couldn't overcome the elements, and so he drowned. And then it wasn't long until uh, their little grandchild was born uh, and didn't survive. I mean, just on the heels of losing a son, they lost a, a grandchild. Why, God? Oh, when you look at their faces, they tell you more than words. When you hear their voices over the telephone, the, the tone, and when their voice would catch, and you could tell they couldn't say another word, uh, told you more than if they would have spoken their heart. And uh, God looked, he saw all of this. He saw it all. And I believe that he was weeping for that. Let's go back, since I'm supposed to take a little more time, and let's see what God's doing in the first place. I actually believe that when when God was alone in heaven, this is how I believe it, that he created the angels, and somehow the angels did what he created them to do, and they didn't give him the satisfaction that he wanted. And now we all have... Uh, a need, and we all have a craving. And uh, uh, come back up here again. I'll, I'll use you just a little bit more. I've got more time on my hands, and I don't know what to do with it. So we'll use a little of it here. When God made man, now you'll be Adam for just a little while, but you're you're not a whole yet. You're just standing there. And God opened the drawer, and he pulled the drawer open, and he looked in it, and there wasn't anything in there. Or he might have did it up here. I don't know. Since there wasn't anything in there, God went over to his own file cabinet, and he opened up the drawer, and he took out a copy of all of his attributes. All of his attributes. An attribute is a, is a, is a quality, a quality of himself. And I guess he went to a fax machine or something, but he got a copy of everything that, all of his own attributes, and he went over and he put them in Adam, and then he pushed it shut. And when God made Adam, he made Adam in his own, in his own likeness. I believe that he gave him the ears and the nose and that God himself wanted. And he was pleased with it. This is the body God wanted. Yep, that'll do. Just the way God wanted it. And then he put in him his attributes. So if you want to know something about God, you have to study man. Thank you.
You want to know if God's jealous? God can get jealous. You know how I know? Because I can get jealous. And I was made in his image. You can get jealous because you were made in his image. I can feel anger. Therefore, God can feel anger. I can feel possessiveness. I can feel lonely. And God can feel lonely. I, uh, I don't uh, ever, you know, the cravings and the yearnings and the desires that we have, we can understand God because we understand the things that were made, amen, by, by studying. We understand the, the Creator by studying the things that He made. If you want to know something about an artist, look at his work. If you want to know something about God, look at what He performed. And I will say this one thing about God, that His crowning glory of His, of his creative powers is when He made man, because He made man in His own image. And in man, he put something that he didn't put in the angels. He gave us a will, and he gave us his attributes. And the angels uh, have only a limited will, and they only have limited attributes of God. They don't have the same feelings that we have. Now, why would God do that? I believe it's because God was lonely. I believe it's because God wanted to have a response from like like you, if you're a, if you're a lady, you and if you're normal, and most I'm sure everybody in here is are that way. But there is a you need the counterpart. If you don't, well then God bless you. But most people do. They want to have the company uh, of a man if around them. They like the personality. They like so many things. Uh, it's so nice. The song used to say to have a man around the house. And because he can do things, he can he can drive nails and fix things, and a lot of other things. Just the company, and it's the uh, same way with a man. Uh, if you walk into an army camp, they won't have any curtains on the walls. They have old green blankets on the beds. There's no flowers and pictures hung. They just list a bunch of drab old army guys. But if you let a woman go in there. She'll look a little while, and she'll be trying to put something on the wall, and she'll be trying to get some carpet, and, and you know, because they have a different, uh, they have different things in their makeup than we do, and we need that. We need that. And so uh, we get lonely. Well, God was lonely without a bride. He was lonely. He wanted somebody that would appreciate him, that had a choice, that you can either appreciate me, or you can forget me. You can you can go after that fellow, or you can come. Uh, you know, if I was the only man in the world and my wife was in love with me, it wouldn't be a great compliment. But she chose me above some of the others that she knew. All the others that she knew, to be honest about it. And uh, we're a great compliment to God in that respect, that we have fallen in love with him. We see the other fellow. Oh, he's dancing around and giving us all he's got. He's flirting and doing everything he knows to do. He's doing all he can to win our hearts away from God. But we look and we say, oh, go get lost. I'm interested in this one. And that pleases God. God wanted a bride, is what I'm trying to say. And all, everything that's happening to us today is so that God can have a suitable bride. If a king was looking for a bride, and we have an example of it with Ahasuerus, when uh, he baptized this priest, even he was looking for another one, and if you remember how it uh, wasn't Esther that was chosen. But do, would you think that God would, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. Does he want 
Now, if, if I describe one of you girls, I didn't mean to do it. But do you think he'd want a knock-kneed, cross-eyed, snaggle tooth, stringy-headed, snotty nose? Why? Dear God. She took my picture wrong, huh? Do you think God would want a wife like that? Look, I'm not all that handsome, but I didn't want a woman that looked like that. I mean, they might have liked me, but I didn't like them. The one that got my mind and my eyes is she's sitting over here. You ought to see a picture of her when she's 19 years old. And make a bulldog break his chain. God wants a bride that he can be proud of. Tall and stately. Knows how to act. Has the right kind of a spirit. God wants a bride that will grace heaven. That he doesn't mind being in the company of or being sitting beside. I mean, if, if there are people that if I'd have had to been married to them, I wouldn't want to went out to dinner or nothing. I'd have been, uh, I think I'd have joined the foreign army or something. God doesn't want to be hooked up with something he's ashamed of. And so his purpose in all of these things that we're going through is he wants a bride that's gone to a finishing school, that's had some experiences, that's stood the test, that knows what it is to be tempted and also knows what it is to resist, to knows what, know what it is not to want those things and deliberately deny themselves of that, even though it might be a temptation for a moment. God wants a bride that has been exposed and yet has been true. That's what God wants. And, I'm, you know, we're not preaching somebody's not here. We're talking to this church. We're talking to each of you. And if you want to be part of the bride of Christ, we're going to have to be true to him. We're going to have to, when we're alone, be true to him. As well as when we're together. You know, when we're together, we get a lot of strength, you know. We're, we're going to behave ourselves because we're, you know, we're together. But we, we have to behave ourselves when we're not together. Because God's looking on all the while. And so God wants a bride that has been tested and tried and didn't lose her faith. He wants a bride, a man that put her full confidence in him. And so when I looked at the prophet, and he looked and he saw all the misery that's going to come on the children of Israel because of Hazel, he wept. I look at Jesus and I see him weeping. And then that day that he was walking up the hill carrying his cross and the women were weeping, he said, don't weep for me. Weep for your children. If they'll do this to a green limb, what will they do to a dead one? He, he looked and he saw that, yes, what he's going to do is going to be painful. He's going to stretch his hands and give it to the nails and his feet. And uh, they, they've already put the crown of thorns on his head and they've slapped him and pulled his beard and spit in his face and railed on him. And he knows all of that, but he said, don't wait for me. I see some things that you're going to go through that you're not aware of. But I believe that day that he wept in the presence of Mary and Martha, he was weeping for you and he was weeping for myself. God 
I believe that you looked and you saw. Now, you say, why doesn't God deliver us from it? He deliberately doesn't. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he deliberately lets you go through it. I told you the other day about Sister McCurdy of how she, we didn't understand why. She wasn't really an old woman. She was a, she was a mother. Her children were grown. One of her, her youngest son turned 20, and just a year before she died, Tony uh, got cancer in the spinal column. And uh, they took him in, and they cut the tops off of his vertebrae, and just like taking the cap off a, off a rod, and they exposed all of his nerves, and they looked, and the cancer in his spinal column was too uh, too much. They they couldn't touch it; it would have killed him. So they just uh, took a needle and pulled some of the fluid out and put the cap back on, wired him back out, and uh, said he'd probably live a few more years. And they gave him a few years, but in the middle of the night, uh, they'd let him out for church. He come to church. He he uh, he prayed and he sought God and. And he worshipped, and uh, it was wonderful to see him in the house of God. He went back for some further tests, and while he was in the hospital, a blood clot, and he was dead in a matter of moments. And uh, that same family then, his mother got, you say, why? Why all of these happened to that family? Well, it's several daughters that's holding on. They just, they just lifted their hands higher. We had a lady that fought us for years. She's a Spanish lady, married to one of our uh, men. And uh, she hated, when he started coming to our church and started paying tithes, she would give him the money, but she'd spit on it. I didn't know that. He finally told me. One day she took a belt buckle and slung it and cut him right across the face for the belt buckle and said, go to your old church and take them these ties. Oh, she was mean. She fought him in so many different things. Fought him with all the children. But then she got acquainted with Ethel and I later on. And uh, she started calling me when they'd have problems. And it wasn't long until we become very, very close friends to them. We'd go out and eat with them a lot. We won her. But she didn't give her heart to God. And one day... We heard that she had cancer of the spine, the same thing that had taken Tony. And uh, he came to the house of God. Before she came, she got rid of all of her uh, men's pants. She got rid of all of her short-sleeved blouses. She got rid of all of her jewelry. She got rid of all of her makeup. She got rid of everything before she ever come to church. When she came, she came to the altar and prayed, and she wanted to be baptized. We baptized her. She started seeking the Holy Ghost, and she didn't seek long, but she was sitting in the back bench. And I never saw anybody get the Holy Ghost like this. But her eyes were wide open. It looked like she could see something out there that we couldn't see. She never closed her eyes one time as she prayed. She prayed and prayed. She was so sick. She was so in so much pain. She sat down and prayed, and the women got around her, and I came back and prayed with her. Pretty quick, she started speaking in tongues, just so clear. And God gave her her health back for a little while. She lived for another year or so. And uh, we was with her in the hospital room when she died. What God, why did we fight her for so many years? Finally, she comes in and gets the truth. She gets born again, and then you take her away from us like that when she could have been a great help. But but she went out uh, 
we were in the hospital room singing. She was speaking in tongues just as she was slipping away out of this world. What a reward it was to us. But why, Lord, why? I can't possibly cover all of the things that are here this morning, but in your mind, you're covering some of the puzzling things that have bothered you. As a saint, why? My pastor's wife, Sister Terry, relatively young, had a stroke and uh, never spoke another word for seven years before she died. The whole church was in agony. This great lady, a wonderful prayer warrior, a great example of the truth, had never done anything but good. Why was she struck, was she struck down like that? And why did Brother Terry have to feed her through a tube for seven years? And she never was able to say a word. All she could do, all the only reason we knew she had any continuity mentally at all was that at times when we'd be talking to her, her, her eyes would weep. She couldn't speak. She couldn't move. She was paralyzed totally. Only thing she could move was her eyeballs for seven years. Why, God? And so... I was seeking for the answer for some of these things, and I'm sure that you've been seeking for the answer for some of these things. And you know, it really don't matter how long I preach today, as long as I leave something with you that'll help you. And I really believe that Jesus has already wept over our situations. And I don't know yet what I'm going to have to go through, and you don't either. And if you've never, and if I've always been shielded of all these things, but there are some in here this, this afternoon... There's some in here this afternoon that have gone through things that you cannot reason. Why did that happen? Why? Oh, we always comfort one another by saying, well, the Lord knows best and things of this nature. But some of it... So I'm going to do this, and then I'll be done. I'm going to draw an imaginary line here. Just about got one where the carpet's seen. And uh, this is a line... There it is. And we're all lined up here. I know you're out there, but in your mind, can't you do a little trick with me? Yeah, yeah, you're up here, aren't you? Sure, thank you, brother. I knew you was up here. I can see you there, but I knew you was here. In your mind. And we're all lined up. And we've all got to go through this, I call it a jungle, life. We've all got to go through it. Now, we go through it at different times. For instance... 100 years ago, 500 years ago, the apostles were lined up here too. And uh, even the patriarchs. And, uh, we've all started off, usually maybe with our thumb in our mouth and kicking. But this is where we, where we start. And God said, this jungle that you're going to have to go through is going to be 70 years across it. Not 70 miles. Not 700,000 miles, but 70 years. I don't know how many miles that would incur. And then some of us, as we were born, we looked out there, and man, nothing but sand dunes and no water. Somebody down the line here, they're looking, and they're seeing, oh, those mountains are too tall. Look at the snow-capped mountains. There's all types of terrain that we're going to have to go through. I won't go through your terrain, and you won't go through mine. I'm going to pick my way through this jungle, and you're going to pick your way through this jungle, and I'm going to encounter things that you didn't encounter, 
and you're going to encounter things that I didn't encounter. In other words, I may be crawling on my hands and knees and uh, come face to face with a rattlesnake. And you think, oh, thank God I'm not over there. And you look up, my God, there's a lion. You know? The other day I put my boots on, just had a cement truck, was getting ready to pour some cement, and I was in a hurry because they had spilt some red coloring, and it was washing down the drain, and all my neighbors were splashing it all over everything. I had to get out there and get that cleaned up. And uh, the contractor was responsible, but nevertheless, I felt like doing all I could. I run in the garage and grabbed my boots and stuck them on and laced them up, and I took about three steps, and I felt like I had a, a rock in my shoe. It wasn't hurting. It just felt like a piece of gravel. It kind of made me limp just a little, and I got on out, and I got the hose, and I started hosing things down, and that gravel in there. And after about an hour, I sat down and took the gravel out, but there wasn't no gravel there. Well, nothing there. I looked at my foot and I said, what in the world? There's nothing there. That night, I took my shoe off, said, look and see if you can see anything. My wife saw a little teeny red spot. Looked like the, you took a, a pen and just barely pricked it. Just very, very, very small. And uh, by the next night, it was swelled up till I couldn't put my foot on the ground. And I don't know yet what bit me. I thought it was a brown recluse spider but it could have been a black widow. My foot got so big, my toes sticking out like that, and the ball of my foot, I couldn't put it on the ground, walking on my heel until I bruised it, then walking on my knees, doing anything I could. Uh, was I thought, surely this is gonna get better. Uh, and I looked at my leg, and I had two red streaks coming up there, and uh, blood poison was setting in. I don't know, you know, you just don't know when you're gonna run into something that you didn't plan on. I didn't know there was a spider in my boot. You don't know what's going to happen to you. I don't know what's going to happen to me. But one thing about it, we've all got to go through here. Now, sometimes this this little jungle that we have to go through, God has shortened it. My my good friend, his little grandson, uh, he shortened his. He only had to go 11 years. The kid only went 11 years through his jungle. And that was the end. Now, there's one thing I want you to remember. The moment you die, you're immediately to the finish line. When we're going through this jungle, the minute you die, you're at the finish line. And some are able to make it. Some of us are going to make it to the rapture. I believe there's going to be a church ready at the rapture. Now, look, I, I'm, I'm teaching a little different than anybody, any preacher you ever heard, so don't, don't worry about that. Okay? You'll hear them again, and they'll pull you back out of the whatever I'm doing to you today, but just just go along with me here today, will you? Go along with my little game. It'll, it might help us. I was talking to the Alexanders today. They're both, I think, 77. They've seen some of the jungle I haven't seen. But you don't have to be 77 to see it all. I've seen some of the jungle they haven't seen. I've gone through things. I, I remember one time I was talking to somebody, and they said, Tell me how, how bad they were having it. And I said, I understand. They said, you don't understand. You've never had a trial. I said, well, I've had trials. I, I haven't had the trial you're having. And they said, you've never had a trial. Everything you touch turns to gold. You've never had a trial. Don't tell me you understand. 
mean? And I said, well, all right, I, I really, I guess I don't understand. I'm trying to understand, but I guess I don't understand, so I backed off. But whoever it was was in a lot of pain at that moment and didn't want anybody to think that they, they understood. Nobody's had a pain like mine. When I looked and saw the pain they were having, I thought, truly, I haven't had that pain, but I'm having that pain through them vicariously. I'm suffering it. I, I know what's going on, and, I, and, it, and it makes me grieve. But no, that hasn't been my pain. But I've gone through pain they don't know about. And you've gone through pain.